Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Awesome. My neck hurts. Is that what somebody said? Like, my neck hurts. Let's talk about that for a bit. So I'm just kidding. Um, well, I got to know quite a few of you guys last night. Not everybody. If you didn't see me, it's because the other people were talking to me and uh, didn't make it to you. So I'm um, looking forward to hanging out some today and heading around. I know my son got to hang out in the gym some, play basketball with a few of you guys. He enjoyed that. So cool stuff. You guys like... How many of you guys have a tapestry at home? All right. Wow. That was, I was expecting no one. So um, I was, seriously, because it's not like a thing that we do now. And a lot of the ones that we have are not the quality of the ones that we're actually talking about. I've got a few pictures of what it looks like when they're doing this in the Royal Tapestry Manufactory in France, in some city I can't pronounce. Um, let's go to that first picture. I don't remember what order I put these in. That's not it. All right. So, <laughs> That's not it. Let's go back to that. I forgot that was in there, and I actually left it in my room um, because I have a different object lesson. But Tetris, anybody play Tetris? Yeah. Um, cool stuff. Tetris is neat. Tetris is very similar to this skit that you just saw up here um, where you're seeing all of this. It takes uh, all different people. Now, these are different lights, different shapes, different sizes, different luminosities and so forth, but it all forms one really cool backdrop and kind of went along with the video and all that kind of stuff. Tetris is very similar to that. Um, you drop in shapes. You can flip them a little bit, but you can't do a whole lot to them. And if you miss a few, like where they were supposed to go, like if you... Um, Take your, like, the big long line that's shaped like me, and if you flip it this way, you just wasted the whole thing, right? You're just like, I'll just fill in this set of four. No, no, no. That's meant to, like, eliminate, like, four rows at once. It drops in, and you're like, and I have the original Nintendo, I mean, the Nintendo Game Boy that came out, like, in 1989 or whenever that came out, but I've got that in my room. Um, I still play that. When I have writer's block, I'm working on a sermon, I grab that and I play one game. Now, the, the thing about this Game Boy, if you've never played an original game, I'm not talking about Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance or Game Boy, um, the, you know, whatever we move to now, DS and DS, 3DS and 5DS where you can smell it and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> this one had, did not have its own light source, so you can't play it in the dark. You have to have a light shining on it in order for you to see it. It was really cool in a way. And then they sold a light that took four double A's that went over it like a giant magnifying glass with a little bit of light. And that was stupid. Um, but this thing, this thing still works and everything. Now, I love Tetris because of the strategy in there that every piece matters. Every piece has to be turned and oriented the exact way. Otherwise, they're gonna, it's just going to pile up and pile up and pile up. And if you get to the top and you have all these empty spaces and you don't have anywhere else to put them, you lose the game and you start over. And this kingdom tapestry that God is weaving, it's meant for you too. It's not meant to have like, well, I didn't really like that kid so I didn't invite him to youth group. I've had those conversations with teenagers before. They'll tell me about somebody, I'll be like, have you ever invited them to youth? And they're like, no, this is kind of a place I go to get away. They would ruin it. And you have that. Anybody have, like, let's be honest. Let's be gut level honest because I was the same way in high school as well. Anybody have somebody that if they showed up this week, you'd be very disappointed? 
at your youth group. All right. Some of you are talking about people who come every week too. And that's the sad part. You know, like every time I see your face, I just want to pinch it. Anyways. I'm thinking about my sister. What? She's like, I'm thinking about my sister. Is your sister here? I was going to get into that. We're going to do a little therapy, family therapy. Um, yeah, so yeah, we feel like it's our time and everything, but God is weaving this tapestry together where he wants to see everyone involved in the kingdom. Um, there are two different times where I packed out a room of teenagers in my own youth group, all right? Because you, when your own youth group, like some of you guys are coming up, oh, I liked your story. And, then, and then, uh, my youth group, they're like, eh, you know, because they, they hear me every week and they're like, can we bring in a speaker? Like... <laughs> Like, oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, so two times I remember packing this out, like, like years ago. I'm like, okay, this week we're talking about sex, all right, and how good it is, all right? And, like, that's how I cued it because God created it to be amazing in the right context, you know, like a fire. It's really good in a fireplace, but not on your ottoman. Like, it's, you're still warm, but you're going to die. And um, so, like, there's, there's, a, there's a good context for it. And the other time is this. I said, tonight I'm going to talk about why the Bible says it's okay to kill your enemies. And it packed out. People were like, notes, journals. Everybody's like, oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. The youth pastor is on something, right? Yeah. And we talked about how when, when somebody comes to Christ... That God kills the old person, that's the, that person's done away with, and they become a new creation. And boy, the disappointment in their faces. But that's what we're doing. Like, if you don't like somebody, the best thing you could do is introduce them to Jesus, because God will be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't, didn't really want them to stay that way either. I'm going to change them to who I created them to be. So we hear a lot about, like, God loves you exactly how you are and so forth. And that's, there's a lot of truth to that because he created you. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you enough to not leave you that way. Because he loves you enough to be like, oh, you don't even get the rest of the picture here. Let me show you the rest of this tapestry. Let me show you the rest of what I've laid out for you. And God, like the master Tetris player he is, is constantly bringing more in. And as people die who know him and he brings them to be with him, he's dropping more into the picture so it never goes away. And he doesn't waste the tall pieces. <laughs> he's like, all right, we're gonna, like, this, this person, not that, not that it's about tall people or anything, but like individuals, the impact you can have can be more lasting than just what's on your horizontal plane. It can affect multiple generations by the way that we lead somebody to Christ. I want to meet people in heaven that I didn't lead to Christ, but somebody I led to Christ led to Christ. I want to meet those people. I'd be like, when they come up and be like, oh, I'm so glad you spoke at River Valley Ranch in 2022. I'd be like, you were there? And they're like, no, <laughs> I wasn't there. My grandma was there and she was 14. Like that kind of that stuff, when you find out years and years later that you had lasting impact, that blows my mind. I want to find that out when I get to heaven, and I want to know that my name came up at least at one of Satan's staff meetings. They're like, oh, he's awake again. You know, like I want them to be upset, you know, and be like, we got we to gotta put some more, more demons over there. Like, let's, let's, let's silence this guy. Because he's not omnipresent. And don't blame everything that you do on Satan, because he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He can't be in Congress and here. 
So he chooses to hang out in DC. I'm just, I don't know where he is, but <laughs> he's got minions. That's, that's, a, that's a political joke you can say because I didn't say anything about any parties or anything. I think that, I think he's got a pretty good hold on all of them. So anyway, so, and there's some believers in there too that are like, whoa, what is going on here? All right, but you know, <laughs> God, God doesn't waste those pieces. Let's move on to the actual tapestry because I totally forgot that. I meant to bring that. That would have been distracting because I might have had to play a game while you waited. All right. So this is just a regular tapestry anybody can do and everything. You get the vertical strings that are be- becoming part of this as they're weaving the whole thing in, and they got to put those first. If you notice when you come in where the water is back there, there's like yarn hanging there. And I thought that they had made some sort of big tapestry and I had to touch it, you know, like, ooh, they're just individual pieces just kind of floating there. And like it all moved and there was a, another world back there. Anyways, it was really cool. All right, let's go to the next one here. Uh, that's my, that's Ethel from last night. All right, next one. And then this is actually a tapestry. It looks like a painting but they're so good at this. And I watched some videos on this that when they come to an area where it's different, like you know, like somebody's leg or something, that they'll all of a sudden start working that in at a shape and everything. It's not like that they're, they're getting this little piece here, or this little piece, here. oh, we gotta put this color because eventually it's gonna be this part of the leg. No, they'll just start working on that area. And it starts to come to life when you see this beauty. Is there another tapestry picture? I don't even know. If there is, boom, look at that. They'll make tapestries and then use them to cover chairs and stuff. And I looked at some of these green chairs and thought, wow, we really could have done better for this theme. And uh, it's been an expensive way to go. You're like, wow, what are we doing this weekend? Paintball? No, we couldn't afford it. Look at the chair you're sitting in. You know, that would be, that'd be horrible. Here's one from my son's room, Luke in the back there, um, because he's He's got, he's an old lady at heart. And so he's got, I'm just kidding. So he's actually, we trained him to be a Star Wars fan, but he somehow likes Lord of the Rings better. This is Legolas. And I have no idea whether some people in another country worked on this for a long time because it wasn't that expensive, but, um, or whether a machine is doing this now, but it's, it is not the quality that that chair is. As a matter of fact, even the material, like if I hung this up and put a light behind it, you would be able to see through it somewhat. This material that's hanging here, as I was backstage just a second ago, and they've, they've got these lights like up here, these little lantern looking old school lights. There's some of them on in that hall there and you can't see them through this. That's how thick that material is. The tapestries that they work on are huge and they're heavy and they're thick. And sometimes they take years and the people that finish them that are part of the finished product and celebrate and everything, sometimes some of the people who started it are not even living anymore because it's taken so many years. And, and you can't look at it like a Picasso painting or like something from like whoever your favorite painter is. Um, what's the one that does brown bear, brown bear? What's that? That's very abstract. It's nice. Anyways, uh, who, is the, who is the author that does the brown bear, brown bear? What do you see? Huh? Emmerich? Eric Carl. Okay, I was way off. Eric Carl, his full name is Eric Carl Bonga, I think. And um, <laughs> those jokes, though, those are, those are nice. Those are qual- top-notch, top-quality. Next time you see him come out here, I want us to go crazy. Okay, anyways, they're way better than the tapestry that I just showed you, even though this is Legolas, all right? I mean, this is, I also noticed, I'm just going to say, I noticed things from the back when, we, when they ask, this is not spiritual at all. Some of you are gearing up for like, hmm. 
This is going to be a good question. No. We were asked who our favorite archers were, fictional archers, and Legolas did not come up. It was like Katniss Everdeen and Hawkeye and Robin Hood and stuff. I was extremely disappointed in you guys. I thought better, but um, wow. So Legolas is the top tier archer. Let's just get that straight. I don't have a tapestry of Katniss Everdeen at our house. I'm just kidding. Let's not get divided. We're united. Okay, team tapestry. They'll be like, we did all this this weekend, and then you brought up the archer rivalry, and we all left on different pages. Ah! Let's read from the Bible. That's always good to go to. Ephesians 2, verse 19. This is the same passage we were in last night, but a few verses down, it starts talking about that cornerstone that I mentioned last night. The cornerstone that was in the mill, there's a cornerstone in the body of Christ. There's a cornerstone in this tapestry that we're weaving. There's a cornerstone in this building. And this is a really interesting passage because it it describes you one way and then all of a sudden flips it and describes you another way. Like if I'm trying to say this person's my friend, but they're also my cousin, you know, you get like two different roles that they play, but it's still the same person, all right? Um, Verse 19. Consequently, I would love to just start sentences like that in real life. You know? Consequently, I was over at the Gaga pit earlier. You know, anyways. So, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So it puts us in this light that we, we've, we've come from being like somebody who's alienated from God, who's not part of God's family, and then he says, now you're part of his household. You're part of his family. That's a big upgrade, by the way, that if we become followers of Jesus, that we become part of Jesus's family, which is really cool. And I'm losing my, oh, here we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we go from like, okay, now you're part of the family. Come on in the house. Also, you're part of the house. Like that's a weird picture, right? It's like, come on in. You're a brick. You know, like, come on in. I'm just going to sit you right here, put a little mortar on your head, and, and put somebody else on top there, and, and we're just going to make this building. It's a weird thing to envision, but he's saying it's not as simple as you're just a family member. And, and I love that he says that we're part of this building that's being risen up, this building that can't be destroyed, because we sometimes don't get the best picture of what family is. Family should be a very permanent thing that Jesus can talk about and that Paul can bring up here. And we know, wow, that means God's always going to be with me. But we see family not stay together. We see moms and dads split up. We see even like there's even, you can be emancipated from your parents. Like people divorce their parents. Like, I mean, like that's a weird thing. I've had students that I've sat down in council with who were considering doing that because of abuse and other things. And it's like, we see family as not this permanent thing anymore. The guy who owned that mill, who owned Jenny the donkey, <clears throat> had been married three times. That's not shocking at all, okay? 
All of their names were Mary. That's the shocking part. (laughs) He never got their name wrong, and at the same time, he might have. Because who knows which Mary he was thinking of when he said Mary, but she didn't know. So it was very safe for him to name, not to name them, but like to, (laughs) how do you strike up that conversation? What's your name, Mary? Oh, my ex, my two ex-wives' names are Mary. (laughs) We should get married. You know, like, I don't know. That's just a, that's a weird thing. So. But we see family is not really a permanent thing. I'm going to share a little bit toward the end of this message about my son Ezra that we adopted. And maybe there's some people in here who have been adopted, but even there, and I know what he's going to struggle with growing up because I've sat and counseled with kids who've been adopted that no matter how much love they're shown and no matter how awesome their situation is, there's always those lingering thoughts of why, why am I not being raised by my birth mom and my birth dad, why did they place me here? Now, we use the word place and everything in adoption now because it sounds way better, but that's not the words that they start using after they become a teenager of like, why did they give me away? Why did they do this and do that? Maybe you've struggled through some of that stuff on your own. I know Ezra's gonna struggle with it. That's the thing that gets me. Like, I already know what he's gonna struggle with as he gets older. And um, the generations before this, they, most people didn't, keep in touch with the birth mom and the birth dad. And a lot of people have done international adoption. I've got several friends in our church who've adopted from China and they'll never meet the birth mom. They don't know who that person is and the record's kind of sealed and they, they kind of breathe a sigh of relief of that, of no one's ever gonna come back in who's gonna be like, I, yeah, I'm the real mom, or all this kind of stuff. And um, our heart, not that there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great. We need to help every child who doesn't have a loving home to grow up in. But our heart was really for the birth mom and the birth dad too. And to be in their life and to see them come to know Christ one day potentially. Um, so we'll get into that in just a little bit. But let's, 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 let's look at this one more time here. You're not just family, which is a picture we can't see well because of sin and it messing up our family units, but we're also a building that Jesus is the cornerstone of and he's building on it that when he calls us part of the household, he's saying we're part of what holds the house together. It's a different flip on household, isn't it? You know, it's got this hold there and we are now part of this building in which God lives by his spirit. So when Paul also says in another passage that you are the temple, don't you know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He's saying that it's not a singular temple, but you're part of a larger temple as well. So yes, I need to be careful about the way I treat my body and so forth. And and because the, the longer I can be here, the more people I can tell about Jesus. I need to respect what God's given me. It's part of his handiwork and so forth. But I'm part of a bigger temple than that, where God dwells. I know there's, like, there's, a, there's a Crowder song out now about the house of the Lord, come to the house of the Lord. I love it, and I love it, and I love it. Um, because I always thought of it as God's house when I was a kid too. We don't, we don't run in God's house. I was told that every week. I don't know why they told me we don't run in God's house, all right? And you don't wear a hat in God's house. I'm not downing you if you have a hat on right now. I'm saying what they were telling me, all right? And, uh, you are God's house. So like, that's the thing. Can I never run again? Cause I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like what's going on here? 
I don't, you know, anyway, so I had, I had those, those questions on my mind too. We have a building that a lot of people are starting to call worship centers and stuff, the church, because we are the church and we happen to meet in one building, which is, makes sense why we call it the church, because that's where the church meets. It's really cool. He moves us from aliens and strangers to citizens, to family, to part of the building. If you are citizens of heaven, then at best you have dual citizenship. You are also an ambassador of Christ. You represent Christ, which would mean that we are homes, everything, they're embassies where we're telling the rest of the world about this other kingdom, which is huge. If you notice too, let's go back to one of those pictures with the uh, tapestry stuff. Not that one. The one with Ethel, thank you. So you see how you have the, the vertical lines first and the, all they're working is on the horizontal. If you tried to make one of these tapestries and you just started at the bottom and you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna weave this across here and then I'm gonna weave this across here and I've got this one string that's gonna go through the whole thing but I'm gonna add all this stuff and these different colors and stuff but you didn't have those vertical lines, you couldn't get like an inch up before the whole thing just starts collapsing on itself. We were not meant to be interwoven with humanity without God. Like us just be... For the sake of diversity, let's talk to everybody on the planet and let's get everybody in here and let's all just be a, a wonderful kumbaya singing, link arms around the campfire thing. Look what we've become. The vertical is more important than the horizontal. If your relationship with God is not where it needs to be, it's gonna be hard to reach out to others and bring them into that vertical relationship. I go to this camp every year where I speak in Florida and it's probably one of the lamest things that happens, but this youth pastor... Um, comes out every year and she's, if they look tired or anything, let's do some Christian calisthenics. And we all get on our feet and she's like, love God, love people, love God. And we do it for like five minutes. And we're all like, ugh, ugh, where do you odor it next time? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but that's it. It's a real good picture of it, that the vertical is just as important as a horizontal. And I can't love people well unless I'm loving God and I can't add people to this tapestry unless we're in line with where God is bringing people in because he ultimately is that designer for us. And no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what your history has been up to this point, your lives are connected. We're interconnected with each other. Just the fact that you're here this weekend brings you into connection with my life. Now, here's the weird thing, and I'm me into yours. We kind of lead our life like it's our story, and the other people are guest starring, or they have primary roles in it. Like when you watch your favorite show, or you're binge watching something, and you're like, that's the main character, that's this, that's that, and you're like, who's that guy? Well, he's never been in another episode before. He's probably gonna get killed, right? Like, I don't know, I don't know who he is, or maybe they're working him into it, but it, it'll tell you in the credits, guest starring or whatever, and you're like, okay, they weren't important. That's kind of how we treat life. Like it's part of the Nate show and I show up, part of the Nate show is that he goes and speaks at these places and at these places there's a bunch of, we just need some people in the audience, that's what it is. So we're, we're, we're getting cast members now. This is not a non-speaking role. You're just gonna sit in the fourth seat from the end on the fifth row in the third section. Like, no, 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 that's not true. If we live life like that, 
and we've got a few speaking roles and this and that. We view it like we're the main character going through life. We're going to live a very shallow life, and we're not going to understand the importance of other people's stories. Like, tell me a little bit about you, not because... Um, we're going to have you in every episode of my life now, but it, because it's not about that. It's God's story, God's fabric, his weaving, and we come into contact with each other on a regular basis, and your story's just as important and just as valid as mine. And it's also, back to the value of it, a life for whom Christ died, which makes you just as valuable as me, and me just as valuable as you, and every person you're going to come in contact with. Like, if we thought about that, like in that moment where you're so, anybody ever felt so angry you wanted to punch somebody in the face? All right, and put your hands back down. How many of you acted on that impulse and punched somebody in the face before? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Mm, yes, I have. Anyways, yes, it was yesterday and we were in line for ice cream. No, I'm just kidding. So we've got, ice cream was amazing. Anybody have the roasted strawberry? I'm tempted to go home and roast some strawberries, but I don't think it's going to turn out the same way. Like with the broccoli, can we put the broccoli and cauliflower to roast over here and I'll just roast some strawberries here? Maybe a couple of blueberries. I think that's not good. Anyways, but it's good in the ice cream. That every single one of us have value, that we're part of this picture, and that we're not really woven in until we come in contact with those vertical lines with God saying, okay, here's how you can be brought back into relationship with me through what my what my son did. It's this tapestry of our lives that every single person can be a part of. We've got to get past the actions of somebody else that tells us whether or not they're qualified or disqualified to join the body of Christ. That impulse where we would actually punch somebody in the face if we said, I am about to punch directly smack dab into the image of God. This person Jesus died for, gave his life for, and I'm about to punch them right in the image of God, right in the face. Like, that doesn't make sense. It would be hard to say that. Jesus, you died for them, right? You really love them? Well, watch what I'm about to do to them. Like, if we actually went through life thinking that way about other people, oh my goodness, we would get along so much better. If I thought that Jesus was in front of me at a traffic light and he was still sitting there when it was green, I would think it must be meant to be. He's saving me from an accident or something. If I was thinking about that, about other people, like they're, they're just as important, they've been paid for by the blood of Christ, then why don't I just give them the benefit of the doubt? I had this conversation with my pastor and his wife a couple, a couple days ago and about just how, how divided and how antsy people are and how like, everybody is right now. Ugh! I mean, just that you see that all the time. And my pastor's wife said, when is the last time that you've used the horn on your car? I said, it, it goes off every time I lock it. That's it. Unless I see somebody I know. But everybody else, it seems like, I'm not saying I'm better than everybody else or anything, but everybody else around me in my town seems to use it for anything. And it's not like, hey, I, you might not have noticed the green light, uh -uh, and then they just kind of wave like, sorry, but just wanted to let you know. They're like waving, and they don't even know how to use all five fingers. It's like, is it even a wave? You're wasting the vertical line. All right? Like, that's not what it's for. So 
If we understand who we are and who other people are and that they've been died for by Christ, it should impact the way that we treat them. And that social media will no longer be this bulletproof shield where we feel like we can throw anything out there and it doesn't really affect the other people because I feel it in the moment I'm gonna say it. Any more than that car does. I feel like that car, that windshield that's completely clear and you can see through and people feel like it's this impenetrable wall where they can be as rude as they possibly can be that they would never do if they were right behind you in the grocery store and you happen to slow down to look at some Pop-Tarts. And they're like, move it already! Other people want Pop-Tarts! You're like, I'd be like, dude, chill out. Yeah, here's a Pop-Tart. Here's, here's a Pop-Tart. Here's another Pop-Tart. Here, I'm gonna put them all in your cart for you. Like, uh, we would treat people differently if we didn't have the anonymity of the windshield or of the social media that we think we do because on the other receiving end of that is somebody who is in the image of God. Our lives weave together and to know that the weaver is doing that, that the grand designer of the universe, the architect of our soul is the one doing the weaving. Sometimes we notice things that couldn't be coincidence and we're like, oh my goodness, God, I see what you were doing now. So I've been married for 20 years, a little over 20 years now. That's a long time. Any, any high school students, 20 years old, have taken a, a couple extra turns in some of those grades. First, it could be sports related or math related. You're like, I'm a mathlete, you know, and I, I just really wanted to get a couple extra years in. So I failed math. Anyway, so like, so longer than you guys have been in school, I've been married. We've kind of watched this as our marriage got older. Like we're like, oh, our marriage is a teenager now and we're married 13 years. And now we're like, oh my gosh, our marriage can go to war. And sometimes it does. So I'm just kidding, no. Um, our marriage can do this, our marriage, our marriage at 18, our marriage could smoke and boy is it smoking. I'm just saying, she's hot. Uh, I know that was lame. If she was here, she would be like, oh. And then you guys would have done that noise and then she would have been like, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Pretty soon our marriage will be like a 25, we'll be able to rent a car, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Then our marriage will be like ready for the retirement home and weird stuff like that. So 20 years, 20 years of marriage is a long time. And I remember right out the gate, my, my wife grew up with two, three brothers, but two that were adopted. And it was a very sad story where these kids just showed up on their doorstep who were neighbor's kids and asked if they could live with them because their parents were on drugs and they had left them with a babysitter for three weeks until the babysitter's mom put her foot down about it. Nobody called social services back then for anything. Everybody was always like, I'm not ratting anybody out. I don't care and what happened. It was just weird times, right? And this is, we're talking like almost 40 years ago. And um, so you've got, she's got her two older brothers that are adopted and it was always on her heart to do so. And it was always on my heart to do so. And I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint why. I just, every time I met somebody who was adopted, I had tons of questions. Even if they hated being adopted, I was still intrigued by it. I was like, that's really cool. And then I would read scriptures in, in the Bible that talked about us being adopted into the family of God. See, Jesus is God's only begotten son, but somehow he gives us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. We're adopted into this. It's like as if God would pull up outside of an orphanage with, and it's, it's harder to imagine here because we have foster care system, but it, outside of an orphanage where we're all there and he's got enough buses with enough seats to take everybody. But then he says, only the ones who will get on the bus. 
We're like, I really love the orphanage life, so I'm going to stick around. I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what we say spiritually quite a bit to God before we come to him, if we come to him, all right? And so we wanted to adopt, and I wanted to adopt. Like, that was a thing. So we talked about it from the moment we got married. We started talking about adoption. And back then, people weren't adopting. Anybody know anybody adopted from China? All right, so that's like the main place where people adopt now, okay? But back in the day... People were pointing at people. Was somebody adopted from China in here? Oh, awesome. Very cool. So I've got kids in my youth group that are adopted from China as well. And people ask them questions about China, and they're like, I was a baby. I don't know. I don't have the accent. I, I can't make ramen any better than you can. Like, so people just, you know, just ignore them. They do love you when they ask stupid questions, all right? Um, but back then, people were adopting mainly from Russia, all right, they're kind of in the news right now. We're missing a lot of stuff going on just from being away from that just for a minute. When you get back on Sunday, you're gonna be like, what? Anyway, so they adopted from Russia. And so we started looking into adopting from Russia. We wanted to adopt a child. We started in advance praying for the kids who are in Russia because we heard these stories called failure to thrive. That means that when a child is not held, that they can literally die from that. And they would just have enough people to feed them bottles and so forth. And they had failure to thrive. And these babies would just die in their crib. And we wanted to make sure that we could help at least one. And we got the paperwork. And we start filling it out. And by the time we were almost approved to adopt from Russia, Russia shut the door to America and said, no one can adopt children from us. It broke our hearts. And it it made me feel weird because I was second-guessing everything. Second-guessing my calling to youth ministry. Because God called me to youth ministry and God called me to adopt and then that door shut. Was I wrong about that? Could I be wrong about the other one? Could I be wrong about this? Do I even like Star Wars? Like what's going on? And so I had all these questions of, you know, is this really where God's leading us and so forth? And then we moved to North Carolina in 2004 from Virginia and my wife gets pregnant like right off the bat after we moved down to North Carolina, which is huge in and of us in and of itself, because I'm not sure we would have made that leap to make as little money as I was about to make from where I was before if we were pregnant with a kid. So God waited until we weren't making any money and then gave us a baby. God is good. And he met our needs through all of that. And then two years later, Leah comes along. And I was like, I was like, wow, we have a boy and a girl back to back, Luke and Leah. Now, what are we going to do if we ever have twins? We have to rename Luke and Leah because he... That's got to be the twins, right? So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> be like, what did you want to be named? If we hadn't named you Luke, what did you want to be named? Zerubbabel? Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> Some good Bible names that are underutilized, I'm just saying. And so, we had Leah. Still no adoption. And now we've got these two kids that we have, and we're like, we're moving on through life. It's in the back of our mind. But what's also in the back of my mind running parallel to maybe we should adopt, maybe we should adopt is uh, maybe you heard wrong, maybe you heard wrong. Maybe you're not supposed to adopt. Maybe God wanted you to be willing to adopt so you could do something else. The something else was probably this. If I backtrack in my story a little bit, right after Russia closed the door, there was a girl in our youth group who was a middle schooler whose dad was on drugs, whose mom didn't want her at the house and kept putting her over there, and he didn't want her. All they wanted was her social security check. And they even told her she wasn't wanted quite a bit. She comes to live with us and lived with us for almost a year. And we were looking at the process of adopting her. And I thought God wanted us to be willing to adopt a cute little baby so that he could give us this awkward teenager. And we'd say yes. 
and it didn't work out, right? They all of a sudden wanted her back when there were questions about where the money's going to go and all this stuff. And even though we had paid all of her expenses, she went to live in this house that shook every time the train went by to sleep on a mattress on the floor. And we got her a bed and painted her room and all this stuff. And we still keep up with her. She's still following Christ. She's married to a Marine and they've got a couple of beautiful kids and she's amazing. And she's a breast cancer survivor now. And so you're like, well, the kids in your youth group are old. She got it young. All right. So like, um, but she is about 30 now, which is, which is crazy to think about. We're moving on. We got two kids, no adoption. And God moves us into a, a, into a, a, a whole five-year journey where we're just on the road doing stuff like I'm doing right now, and then brought us back into a local church as youth pastor at a church called Peninsula Baptist in North Carolina. And I was like, and one of four denominations I've served in now. And here I am at Peninsula Baptist, and God lays on our heart to adopt. And at the same time, lays on our pastor's heart to start an orphan care ministry and to do foster care training and all this stuff, all coinciding. It was very much a God thing, but we didn't know what to do. We start the process. We felt like we wanted to do a domestic adoption because we wanted to be able to minister to the, the, the mom and the dad as well, the birth mom and the birth dad. And we knew that might not be possible with a foreign adoption. We did end up adopting during the pandemic. So had we been going for a foreign do- adoption, we'd still be waiting right now. Um, but we adopted during, during the pandemic. Here is how God kind of weaves some stuff together. A few years ago, I was an interim youth pastor at a four-square church in Mooresville, North Carolina, or Statesville, North Carolina. It was right next to where we lived. And this guy, uh, I think this is the first picture there. There should be like a couple there. Okay, so this is Greg and Terry Laskowski, all right? Laskowski. Anyway, so um, that's hard to say and fun to say. And, and that's them. This Terry in the middle, and this is Greg. And uh, Greg was a pastor of that four-square church, and I was the interim youth pastor there for six months. Got to know his kids. He had three kids in the youth group and all that good stuff. Well, they had a connection, and we hadn't seen each other for a while. He's an army chaplain now, and um, we hadn't seen each other for a while. And they give me a call because this lady standing next to Terry, her name's Sandy. They had married Sandy and her husband years ago. Greg had done the wedding, Terry sang at the wedding, and I didn't know them from anybody. Our connection was just Greg and Terry. And Sandy's 19-year-old daughter was pregnant. And she had looked through all these books with the adoption agency and stuff and not found anybody that she felt comfortable with. And they start talking us up. We know this couple that's trying to adopt right now that hasn't had any luck whatsoever. Like, and, and maybe they could talk. Well, the girl calls us the next day through FaceTime. Her name's Cassie with a K. All right. And we start talking to Cassie and we find out that Cassie is only named Cassie now because it looks like Kesnia and that before that it's actually pronounced Susha, even though it's K-N. Like it, so she just started going by Cassie, which is way easier than that because her and her sister were two of the last kids adopted from Russia before God closed the door. It was a huge moment where we realized and we're able to tell her, we were praying for you, praying for you almost 20 years ago, 19 years ago at the time when she was born. She went through all kinds of junk, locked in closets in the orphanage uh, for three days one time, locked in a closet. Couldn't even get on an elevator now or any enclosed space. Like, I mean, we fell in love with this girl like right away. 
And she, same way with us. And Ezra, Ezra, who would be born to her, would end up being placed in our home to raise. I think the next picture is my friends. This is Nathan and Sarah. Nathan, the bald guy with the beard, my best friend since third grade. So Cassie lived out in Seattle, and we don't know anything about the West Coast other than what we see on the news. And I had never been all the way out past Colorado, okay? Colorado's the furthest I'd been west, and I hadn't been out there. It's like, where are we going to stay? Adoption's expensive enough. It looks like we'll have to go there sometime around the birth and all of this. And when are we going to get there? My friend Nathan had moved out to work in a hospital in Seattle. And so we were able to go to my childhood friend's home and stay for three weeks prior to, and well, prior to and a little bit after my son being born. Just a huge thing where God had shuffled some pieces around um, to where the fabric of different people's lives had intertwined to create this tapestry where everything was obviously him the whole time. This next picture is Cassie and my wife, Debbie. Cassie's in the middle, my wife, Debbie, and little Ezra. We're holding, that's Mount Rainier, I believe. It's one of those mountains in Seattle. We're up on another mountain overlooking it. She got in a gondola car, an enclosed space that she had never got in before because we wanted to go up there. And she just, I don't know if it was a motherly instinct or whatever. And she was like, I think I can do that with you guys. Later, she was on an elevator with us. And like her mom was like, she's never done any of these things. Just a really cool connection. By the way, Cassie's a believer now. She became, she became a Christian listening to a Duck Dynasty podcast. <laughs> like, can't make this stuff up. I have no connection to Duck Dynasty other than my face. Anyway, so like, she called us one night at 3 a.m. to tell us she'd become a Christian. It's very cool stuff. The next picture is just about a month or two ago, she was coming through the Charlotte airport and told us she had a huge layover. Just all of a sudden, they, they made her wait the entire day for another flight. I was like, we're coming to pick you up. And this could have had more people in the picture there. My son and daughter were there as well. We went to a mall, we hung out, we ate and everything. Ezra loved being around Cassie. And that's my, that's my Ezra right there, obviously. That's the, the baby. Um, such a cool kid. Such a cool kid. He, his tapestry family, he's going to grow up thinking he has so many brothers and sisters. Because my youth group, the Christian school I work at, we go to a basketball game at the Christian school where I work as campus pastor. And um, we hold him for maybe five, 10 minutes of the whole game. And the rest of the time, he's in like a row being passed from teenager to teenager. They're all talking. He walks into these games, holding my hand, going like this to everybody. Fist bump, fist bump, <laughs> fist bump, fist bump. Strangers from the, I'm like, they're the visiting team as, right? They don't care. It's like fist bump, fist bump. And everybody gives a baby a fist bump. I mean, it's just, it's cool, cool stuff. All of that, I could never have foreseen that. I thought, laid on my heart, we're going to adopt. It's all going to be neat and tidy from Russia. You know, a year into our marriage, ba-boom, everything moves. But God was weaving things, even though it felt so long. Sometimes you feel like God's not there. We raised our glow sticks. What is God doing right now? God's still working on a piece of art that includes you and it includes others that he's going to bring into your life that sometimes you can't tell the end of that story for 20 years. Sometimes it's longer than that. Can you imagine a story that started 20 years ago before you were born and didn't accumulate until after 
the age that you are now. I mean, that's sometimes we don't want to wait on that kind of stuff. But with God, that's just a little bit of time. In the grand scheme of his tapestry, I'm like a thread. I'm like a thread. And when I think I'm hanging by a thread and barely making it, he's actually bringing other threads alongside me and weaving them into me to do something amazing for his kingdom. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I don't know what your story or your part of his story is looking like right now. It might be confusing. I'd love to hear the some of the times when it's been wrapped up and tied in knots and everything that might be years from now, might be months from now, might be weeks from now. Maybe God's doing something that you're going to see results a lot quicker than that. But he's always working. And when we feel like he hasn't come through yet, we can learn a lot in the waiting process and being still and knowing that he is God. He is working on our behalf. He is moving in a mighty way. Maybe you've never come to Christ and you've never started that relationship with him. There's some time in your small group session later on this evening where you can talk about that, but God is not bound by time at all. So if he's laying that on your heart, bring that up at your small groups in just a few minutes. I hope you can feel, you feel like you can trust those people who are growing alongside you and being woven into that tapestry with you. If you feel like I'm not to that point where I can do that, just grab your leader and pull them aside. Ask how you can know that you've started a relationship with Jesus Christ. What, what are the next, maybe you're already a believer and you're like, you know what? I just need to, to really understand and harness and figure out what is this purpose God wants me to tell other people about him and God wants me to grow in him. How do I do that? What's a good way to do that? Your leaders would love to help you with that as well. And I hope you'll get into some of those conversations today because God doesn't just want you in the building. He wants you to be part of the walls and the building it up and to find other people to be bricks in the whole process and to bring them in and weave them into the family of God. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for each and every person here. Lord, I pray that you would bless the times that we have with just our youth groups now where we're able to have some conversations around what we just talked about and what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just rush through it to get the free time, but that we would realize that um, in the process, we can learn a whole lot. We're going to play together and we're going to have fun together all weekend. But Lord, I pray that we would leave this place different than when we came in, a step closer to you than when we came in, that we would want to see these disciplines and the, the idea of getting alone in your word and, and, and worshiping you become a daily thing rather than waiting for the next big event, a retreat or a camp, where it's facilitated by others, Lord, but that we would step into and thrive in the relationship you've put in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.